Welcome to the RE Human Layer Security Podcast, the show that flips the script on cybersecurity. I'm Tim Sadler, the CEO and co-founder of Tessian, and in each episode, I'll be interviewing IT and business leaders about why we need to protect people, not just machines and data, to stop breaches and empower businesses to achieve their missions. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RE Human Layer Security Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to leave a comment or review. We'd love to hear from you. My guest this week is Craig Goodwin, the co-founder of Civitar, the industry's first member-based cybersecurity as a service provider. Prior to founding Civitar, Craig was the CISO and the Chief Trust and Risk Officer at Fujitsu. And prior to that, he was the Global Chief Security Officer at CDK Global. He's passionate about ensuring that his security organizations deliver meaningful business results, and he's all about positioning security as an enabler rather than a barrier to digital trust and change. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here, Tim. Thanks for having me. Craig, to kick things off, can you start by telling us a little bit about you and how Civitar came about? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, thanks for the thanks for the awesome intro. Um, my background, as as you quite rightly said, is is a chief security officer. So I've been on the end user side of security for about 18 years. Um, before that, I was with the intelligence services and the UK government. And and I found that it was just incredibly difficult over that period. You know, every, every CISO says there's jobs hard. But I found that, you know, with the tools that are available on the market, um, as well as, you know, the services that are available and, and, and MSSPs I group in that as well, um, it was incredibly difficult for anyone to get to an actual outcome of secure, um, utilizing just those tools and services. Um, and even more so, that is the case in in the small to medium sized business arena where, you know, there just doesn't exist the resources um, or the finances to pay for those enterprise level tools and to pay for the resources that really enable you to get secure. So so we set out to build the first kind of true cybersecurity as a service, um, a solution that's consumed on demand that gets you actually to the outcome of secure. And they're programmatic solutions that are consumed on demand, cancel any time, just like any other subscription solution. But the key thing being that we actually remediate, we actually fix the stuff, we actually reduce the risk for the customer, rather than just sending them alerts and expecting them to do the work themselves. So so that was the evolution of Cybertar. Me and my co-founder, Corey White, came together, both different ends of the, the spectrum from a security point of view, but we both saw the same problem. Um, and we've built that subscription solution, cybersecurity as a service, with Cyvatar now, and and uh, and it's growing every day, and and the journey is getting more and more exciting by the hour. So, and and your co-founders based kind of on the other side of the world to you. How did you come together and start this company? Yeah, great question. Um, and actually, you know, even more stark about us being on other sides of the country was that, uh, sorry, other sides of the world was that. Um, COVID obviously happened right in the middle of that. In fact, a week after we met at RSA um, two years ago, the last face-to-face RSA, um, the whole world locked down. So Corey would say, because he's from California, that it was the universe. I'd say that it was luck because I'm English. But either way, um, it worked out incredibly well. I was leaving my last role at Fujitsu. He'd recently left um, Silence that had been purchased by BlackBerry, um, and we both sat together in a bar at RSA and talked about what we wanted to do next. We'd met five years before when I'd been a customer of Corey's um, at CDK. 
we'd had a meeting of minds at that point, but it wasn't the right time. Um, and at that time, at RSA two years ago, we sat down. He told me what he wanted to do. I told him what I thought I wanted to build. Um, and we just had that meeting of minds. When you when you found a company, as, as you know, um, you have to be in right personal and professional space. And we just found ourselves coming together in a place where we were in the right place in our lives to to take that leap and, and build something great. Um, and professionally, we were both in a position where we could do that and wanted to change the industry. So, you know, universe, luck, whatever it was, um, it's been a great ride for the last two years. You worked in a number of security roles. I'd love to know what you learned from those experiences and how they helped you launch and grow your own company. Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I, I've learned so much over the years. I think I think number one is is being willing to learn, um, knowing that you never know everything. Um, I've always said to anyone that's ever worked for me, knowledge is the biggest thing, right? You know, you don't know everything. You've got to find the people that do. So constantly being inquisitive, constantly asking questions, no matter where you are in your career, you know, whether you're a founder of a business, a CEO or a CISO, constantly asking those questions and, and trying and yearning to understand more about a business, about what you're doing, what you're building. I've had one of the steepest learning curves in, in my life in the last two years, um, becoming a f- co-founder of a business you're constantly finding things you don't know about, constantly learning from people, from mentors, from people in the business. Um, and, and I have a real thirst for that learning. And I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, the other thing I think that I would say is, you know, ostensibly, my background came from one of human intelligence, um, where, um, where it's all about people. And, and I think that stead me, stead, stood me in really good stead as I went through my career. I never looked at a chief security officer's role or any role as, as a technical role. I looked at it as a role of managing, leading and gaining knowledge from people. And I think if you focus on, you know, gaining that knowledge, working with people, managing people, that my, my favorite um, piece of advice that I ever got was when you first step into that CISO role, don't start asking technical questions. Go and get yourself a Starbucks card and, and take the executives out. Build relationships with people in the business. And the technology stuff will come along with it. But but focus on the people. Focus on the people aspects. Build relationships. And that will ultimately serve you really, really well over time. And how have your experiences of you and your teams in past lives, kind of constantly firefighting and dealing with security incidents, how have those helped you build empathy for your customers today? Yeah, great question. Um, the members of Cybertar today, it, it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, they're predominantly smaller to medium sized businesses who, who don't have the experience that we have. And one of the things that we've been really focused on since the founding of the business is is the experience of our members and allowing them to leverage the experience of our team to really drive more methodical approaches to security. When we built um, Cybertar, you know, what we wanted to build was the fact that the membership of the organization was greater than the sum of its parts, you know, and, and sharing those learnings across members, sharing the experience of the team as well as the rest of the members with with the whole membership, with the whole group of Cybertar community um, is, is a really, really powerful thing. And if you think of other examples of that, you know, communities that have been built in the past, that's the key differentiator is they're all sharing those learnings. From a personal perspective, you know, when they go through this process of 
looking at technical risk, looking at their cybersecurity program. I think the most important thing is having a realistic and level head about these things. Um, you know, it's very easy to be driven by risk that you see in the media. I, I love the story of, you know, I don't, I don't love it, but it's an incredibly powerful story um, about the um, the events of 9-11 and, and what preceded that and the fact that everyone after 9-11 um, took up road travel in much greater numbers. No one was going on a plane anymore because they saw those horrific events of 9-11. And actually, in reality, led, led to a real increase in road traffic accidents and, and people dying on the roads because of that perception of risk. When in reality, you know, a lot fewer people would likely have died if they'd taken plane as the method of travel. And I think that's very true. And it's a, a good analogy for the security world. You know, we see the hyped events in the news. We see things blown up in the media when in reality, the basics and the things that you need to do, particularly to protect a small organization, stay relatively constant. And, and that's what we focus on at Cybertize, building that basic security program, focusing on those essentials so that the businesses are doing enough to protect themselves without spending needless funds and, and spending money on things that, quite frankly, don't do anything for the business. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The concept of fear taking hold versus actually looking rationally at the risk and the likelihood that you're your company is going to be impacted by it. In my introduction, I mentioned that you want security to be an enabler to digital trust and change. And I really like the analogy you shared to explain the vision of your company. You say that you want to make cybersecurity as effortless for, for your customers as turning on the light in the office. In what way can cybersecurity be that effortless and enable change? Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, you know, we've been talking about it since probably the early 2000s, which is that concept of people, process and technology. Um, I think, unfortunately, if you look out to the marketplace today, particularly if you're a small to medium sized business, it's still predominantly dominated by just that technology piece. Right. It's still predominantly dominated by technology-driven, product-driven companies funded by VC funds who, who are looking to just build you know, a 90% margin product that can be sold to a larger business or they can make their money from. Um, the reality of the situation, as most of us in security know, is that you need all three of those components to really reduce risk and drive a successful outcome from a, um, from a security program. Um, and therefore, what we've done with Cybertar, which is the most important thing, is bring all three of those, you know, people, process and technology. Um, and we've wrapped them all into easy to consume subscriptions. Um, and that's really, really important. The second piece is is proactivity. You know, a lot of the industry right now is focused on reactive approaches, you know, send an alert after it's happened. Um, the analogy being, you know, you can send me CCTV footage or, or an alarm alert that shows someone who's already broken into my house and already stolen, you know, my expensive jewelry, um, or you can prevent them from doing it in the first place. And, and what we've built with Cybertar is the first kind of proactive approach to cyber. So we're not managed detection and response. We're not alerting after the fact. We're building good cyber hygiene in before it happens. And we're building in preventative security, which means you're not that low hanging fruit. And in fact, you're going to stop those attacks from happening. In reality, you know, an enterprise can probably take the impact um, or be resilient enough to survive a data breach 
in the small to medium sized business world, that's not necessarily the case. And and a data breach can be catastrophic enough to put that business out of business. Um, and we don't want that to happen. So we built that preventative approach that means you stay ahead of the competition. And then just to touch really briefly on your point about you know business enablement, what we're seeing more and more is that the utilization of, of Cybertask services is driven by the need to speed up sales cycles. Enterprises are demanding more and more that a small to medium-sized business or as part of their supply chain has a strong security program and can demonstrate that. And, and Cybertar enables them to do that, which speeds up sales cycles, you know, shows is an, enables the organization to show security as a real differentiator to revenue generation, which is different in the past where everything was bought out of a sense of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So that, that's that's been a real game changer. And certainly we're seeing a lot of small to medium-sized businesses driven with that in mind, as opposed to the fear that we mentioned just before now. I want to go back to that point about cybersecurity being effortless. If we flip mm. it around, why is it important? What happens if cybersecurity isn't effortless? Well, it doesn't get done, quite frankly, or, or it gets ignored, right? And, and if you look at the way that small to medium-sized businesses particularly have approached security in the past, it's been a convoluted effort of trying to build, take something simple like threat and vulnerability management. You know, if you're experienced in security, um, you know how to build a threat and vulnerability management program. But certainly small to medium-sized businesses don't have that expertise. Um, and if you do it yourself, you know, you need two or three different tools, probably four or five different tools. You need internal expertise, which is really, really expensive. And then you need the knowledge and experience to be able to build that program. And even if you had all that, it take you 18 to 24 months, within which time, you know, something catastrophic could have happened to the business. Making it effortless for us means that we take all of that pain away. It means that we bring the tools, we bring the technology, and we bring the people to get to that outcome. And we, and we guarantee it within 90 days, you know, because of the expertise we got, the experience that we've got, the tools that we're using, we're able to get our customers into a clean, remediated, hygienic state in less than 90 days, which which would be unheard of if, if the business tried to build it itself. And actually, right now, we're running on average about 60 days across our customer base. You know, with the focus that we've got, with the experience that we've got, with the proprietary technology we've got, we're able to get them really quickly to the outcome of Secure that would be next to impossible if they if they tried to do it themselves. And and it means very little effort on their part. You know, clearly, we, we need some access. We need some initial setup to help us to get things rolled out. But once that's done, it means very little effort on the customer side. And they can focus on doing what they do best, which is building their products, selling their business, growing their um, customer base while we worry about the painful side of security on their behalf. I want to go back to uh, something that we spoke about a few minutes ago, which was this kind of irrationality in cyber and how fear can dominate the conversation sometimes. In your opinion, and from the conversations you have with security professionals, why does fear play such a key role in determining what security leaders focus their time on and how can they avoid that pitfall? I think for me, and and look, I, I would be honest and say I've done this many times throughout my career. I think previously it's been without doubt the most effective way to sell cybersecurity. And I, and I don't just mean from a vendor perspective, I mean internally as well, right? From a psychological perspective as CISOs and as security leaders, we've relied on this 
fear of monetary um, penalties or we rely on the fear of reputational damage and all these things from a risk perspective that we that we tout to the business and and try to scare them into spending more and more money. I think the reality is as as that's matured, as boards of organizations have matured, as the as a general business person has um, begins to understand more about cybersecurity and, and when it happens and, and when you get breached. Um, the education in that board level, the education at the people that we're talking to at the C level has has just increased exponentially over time. And it's no longer good enough to just say, look, this is an incredibly scary proposition, so go spend all this money. People want real-world risk calculations. They want to understand genuinely what the risk is to the business and therefore how much they should spend reducing that risk. Um, and I've spent my career trying to find ways to articulate risk effectively in the context of the business environment with which you're operating. And that's why I say that dealing with people and communication is probably the single most important thing. You know, a couple of times over my last two security programs, I've changed nothing about the technology stack. Um, And yet the security program was failing before I joined. What I did was change the way that it was communicated. You know, I changed the way that security risk was communicated from one of technical um, verbiage, like, you know, we've got 100 vulnerabilities, to something that made sense to the business, something that the board could quantify and they could understand. And and without changing any technology, without changing any product, I was able to drive much more risk reduction because it made sense. And you were talking in a language that the business understood. And we started to build some of that into the platform at Cybertar as well. You know, so a small to medium sized business would understand, you know, an A to D grade, for example, much more readily than they'd understand a thousand vulnerabilities. Because quite frankly, what does that mean to them? The first question you always get is, well, how many has I competitor got, you know, how many have other people got that are in the same industry as me? Is this good? Is this bad? And it's really difficult to answer those questions in the terms of just technical verbiage. You have to deliver it in a way that the business understands. And that's when you start to really drive risk reduction effectively in a business. And this is a good segue into talking about ransomware, which is a topic I know you often speak about. It's the threat that continues to plague businesses and everybody I speak to, you know, sometimes all they want to talk about is is ransomware. Um, I know that I think some figures that recently came out showed 105% surge in ransomware uh, attacks over the past year. And the FBI also recently reported uh, it's currently investigating over 100 different ransomware variants that have been used in multiple attacks against critical IT infrastructure. Why is ransomware such a big problem today? Um, I think it's because there's a whole industry behind it. I mean, if you look at, you know, the kind of spurious um, nature of of previous hacking, um, you know, that that existed around data, um, that existed around stealing that data and then selling it on the black market. I think ransomware as a threat is much more tangible, um, both on a personal and a business basis. You know, you think about, I always use the story of, you know, your personal photos, um, I think is one that really hits home with people. You know, if you've got all of your photos on iPhone, um, they're all saved on the laptop and you personally get hit with ransomware, someone holds those photos to ransom and they don't exist anywhere else in the world. That's that's your memories captured there, you know, and, and I use that analogy with my family and people that are perhaps outside of security. And that really hits home to not be able to access those photos, to not 
have those memories is is really really important and and impacts people and if you think about ransomware or business data in a similar way you know you need access to that data you need to be able to use it to run your business and it's incredibly important to that business that's a direct impact to the business immediately it's a direct impact to the individual immediately um and and as a result of that as a result of that emotional um impact and business impact caused by holding that data or those photos in my personal example to ransom effectively means that there's a criminal enterprise built up around it. It means that it's very easy for anyone now to utilize off-the-shelf technologies that exist on the dark web to run their own ransomware and hacking programs that give them monetary gains almost immediately. And, and that, from a criminal enterprise perspective, means that they're building it like a business on the other side. It's something that people want to get into. It's something that you can get into easily. The barriers are low. And that means that that's driving more and more adoption of those nefarious activities, um, both you know here and internationally as well. Um, and it means that that low-hanging fruit is really easy to grab. Um, and it's something that's going to continue to be a problem uh, until we get to the point where you know we understand um, or we start to focus on those basics that I talked about earlier, making sure that as a business, you are not the low hanging fruit, that you don't exist on the Internet in such a way that you'll get found by these kind of nefarious groups. Because look, they don't want to put much effort in. They'll find the lowest hanging fruit and they'll go after that. So as long as you're running faster than the other person that's running away from the tiger in, in the famous analogy, um, then, then you, you are doing the basics right and you're protecting your business. And on that point, uh, how do you think the threat will evolve? Where will ransomware be a year from now? Oh, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think it will will continue to increase. Um, I think you know it will continue to be prevalent um, across um, businesses, particularly in the small to medium sized business space, as as enterprise organisations get better, get more mature and are capable of protecting themselves, then it moves down to the lower end and the low-hanging fruit. So I think, unfortunately, the truth and the reality is that it's going to continue to increase exponentially. We're going to see it in the media. We're going to see it continue to be prevalent. Um, and, and we need to work together as a community to find ways to educate um, and protect small businesses and, and individuals much better. And what stood in the way previously uh, of solving this problem why haven't we solved the problem of ransomware before well i think i think for me it comes back to that original conversation about vendors and and the industry in general you know a lot of um and this is perhaps a bit controversial but it's true a lot of cybersecurity vendors a lot of the tools that we use today are really set up and created to benefit the shareholders and and the venture capital firms that fund them a lot of the industry is set up quite frankly, to make money out of the insecurity of security. You think of those, you know, managed security services providers who just fire alerts after an attack has happened, after a ransomware attack has happened, and then charge you hundreds of thousands more dollars to then recover from that attack. You know, the, the economy of cybersecurity is built around detect and respond. It's built around making money out of the insecurity of organizations. Um, and, and that that is not the way to protect organizations. And that's that's why we're failing, which is why, you know, when we when we built Cybertar, we set up Cybertar. Um, it sounds like something that you say that's a bit high level and, and fluffy, but actually 
you know, me and Corey coming from both sides of the industry were committed this time to doing something that actually benefited our members. And and we we make money, we we build a business that is economically viable as customers get more secure and they prevent. They see the value in being secure. We show them the value in being secure. And therefore we make money as a result of that. We don't make money as a result of you know, someone getting hacked or, or something bad happening to that organization, which is why we don't play in that instant response and detect and response place. Um, we want to make it preventable. And that's what everyone needs to be focused on is how you drive real outcomes from these security tools, rather than just alerting and responding and expecting the customer to do all the work. Craig, thank you so much for your time today. We always finish up our interviews with some quick questions to get to know the guests on the Human Layer Security podcast a little bit better. So my first question for you is, what is one book you'd recommend to all of our readers? Sorry, all of our listeners. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so the one that I'm reading currently or the one that I've just finished was Wes Bush, uh, Product-Led Growth. Um, it's, it's a fantastic book. Um, we're obviously focused as an organization on product-led growth right now, which is why it's important. But there's a ton of learnings in there about driving growth, driving products, um, and helping to get adoption within products that's, that's really useful as a, as a co-founder of a business. And if your schedule was cleared for the day, how would you spend your time? Wow, good question. Probably, uh, probably with my wife and kids. Um, I got two young kids, as you as you can appreciate from from your perspective as well. Building a business is not um, is not a half time job, and particularly as I've got a co founder in California, my hours are all over the place. Um, so you know, we enjoy plenty of family activities like like riding bikes and flying kites and walking the dog. So that that would be how I would spend my time. And my last question is: What's the one app you can't live without? Wow, that's a good question. Right now, um, back to the book question is one called Blinkist. So Blinkist is an app that boils down books and business books into very short blinks. So you can listen to a a full book in in 15 minutes or less than that, 10 minutes. Um, And that really, really helps me to consume as much reading and knowledge as I possibly can in a short amount of time. Craig, it's been awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. And that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more Human Layer Security Insights in our next episode. But if you can't wait that long, you can visit our blog at tessian.com forward slash blog, where you'll find lots of amazing content, advice, and tips. And if you enjoyed our show, please rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 